they say you should never, ever begin with an apology. Well, I'm going to begin with an apology. Sorry, but um, for some reason known to nobody at all, the slides that I've produced have come out smaller than they should have. Believe it or not, those of you sitting there, that is a 48 font. It looks like about a 20, but it, it isn't. Presumably it's formatted wrongly, so if you can't see, don't worry, it doesn't matter. All right. Is the lapel mic working? Yes, it is. Great. At first glance, this chapter doesn't seem to be particularly relevant to us today. In fact, when Matt gave it to me, my first thought was, bless him, Lord, because the Bible says, bless those who persecute you. <laughs> but as you dig a little deeper, it's actually amazing. So let's just set the scene and take it from there. Remember, the nation of what we call Israel had actually been divided into two separate kingdoms. In the north they had the kingdom of Israel and then in the south the kingdom of Judah. They should have had one king for the whole lot but they didn't. They had two separate kings and they got on like most in-laws. Okay, I'm sorry, not your family. If anybody, by the way, if I haven't offended you yet, I do apologise. I'll get around to you eventually. Okay, so bear with me. Now, as we go through the story, it, it helps a little bit if you've got the geography, because otherwise it doesn't quite make sense. And there are just two towns that I mentioned. There is the town of Samaria, which is where King Ahaziah was, and that's in the northern kingdom of Israel, and there's the town of Ekron, which is down in the southern kingdom, which is where he sent messengers. So that's, that's enough of the geography and, and all the rest of it. Let's, let's get down to what this is all about. Ahaziah was the king of Israel. Now, again, let me just digress for a moment. Don't get confused if, if you carry on reading through Second Kings because a couple of chapters later you'll find another king with exactly the same name. Only difference is that it's a different person. Okay? I figured that out on two bases. First of all, this one dies and that one's alive. And secondly, that one had a different father and mother to this one. So it, it was a different king by the same name. Uh, in some of your Bibles, the second one may be called King Uzziah, but in, in many it's got exactly the same name. And this king, Ahaziah, was the son of King Ahab, who a couple of weeks ago we heard about, and who was killed in a battle. He was an evil king. And this king, Ahaziah's mother, was that charming lady called Jezebel, whose name has now become synonymous with evil woman. Strangely enough, with parents like that, <laughs> he didn't believe in God. <laughs> I wonder why. Even though his family had actually personally seen evidence of the reality of God, 
They'd seen evidence that proved God, but like others, he hardened his heart and he refused to look at the reality of who God was. In the previous chapter, which is not my department today, but gives us a bit of context, at the end of the previous chapter it says, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel for two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he followed the ways of his father and mother. And of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, who caused Israel to sin. He served and worshipped Baal and aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. Okay, so that's the background. Now, we begin chapter 1 of 2 Kings and we, we come to a deep theological debate. It says that Ahaziah fell from the upper floor of his house and injured himself and he fell through a lattice. Now, Here's the debate. Some theologians tell us that this was a lattice window that he fell through. And others tell us it was a lattice work in the floor to let light into the lower rooms. You know what? I don't care. I really don't. The bottom line is there was a lattice of some sort in this room and the guy fell through it. That's what matters. Don't get hung up on the nitty gritty nonsense. And I can imagine him lying on a couch, surrounded by cushions, maybe even with a teddy bear. Probably not. And he's looking for some kind of comfort. The scriptures actually say the pain was so bad, he he, he was afraid he was going to die. He wanted some supernatural help Am I going to live or am I going to die? This is terrible, the pain I'm in. I'm suffering. I've been hurt badly. And I need some help. And I need to know what to do. So he sends... Idiot. He sends to the pagan god Baalzebub to see if he's going to live or going to die. Now we need to just pause for a moment at Baalzebub. Because his name is a little bit unusual. And it may help you to understand the first slide, which some of you looked at blankly and wondered what I was talking about. But that doesn't matter. I'm used to that. Baalzebub is made up of two parts. Baal, which means Lord, and Zebub, which means flies. So Baalzebub literally translates as Lord of the Flies. And that is what he was known as. It was believed that he controlled flies. And because he controlled flies, it was believed he controlled plagues. And he controlled health problems. And he could send the flies to cause health problems and he could withdraw the flies to ease those problems. So he was the Lord of the Flies. Theologians also tell us that he was the most senior helper to Satan. The devil's number one right-hand helper. 
And this is the one that King Ahaziah sends a message to. Rather than turning to God, he turns to the occult, even though he knew what had happened to his father. Even though he had seen what God had done in the past. Even though he knew that what he was doing was wrong. He chooses to go to the Lord of the Flies rather than to the King of Kings. And at this point, the only true God steps in. As he did many times in his father's life. God steps in because God's grace is absolutely outstanding and amazing. And God will step in and warn people. And God did here. And it's the same in our lives. God will step in and warn us time and time and time again. Trouble is that many of us, like King Hezekiah, don't listen to what God is saying. Lord, you said I mustn't do that, but you don't really understand my circumstances, God. <laughs> let, let me explain to you why, God, you're wrong and I'm right. So God sends an angel to Elijah to intercept these messengers and to deliver to them a message to take back to the king. And the message was very simple. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going off to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Is there no God in Israel that you have to search for one so far away? One that's no God at all? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you will not leave the bed you're lying on, but you will die. And the messengers listened to the prophet and quickly returned to tell the king what he had said. Now, let's get one thing clear, because people get bugged by this. This was not God judging Ahaziah and condemning him to death. Ahaziah was already injured. He was dying already. He had asked, am I going to recover or not? And God's answer to him is, no, you're not. Simple as that. You want to know if you're going to recover or not? No, you will not leave the bed you're lying on. You will certainly die. God answers his question. The Lord steps in and says, if it's the truth that you're looking for, let me tell you the truth. So God was not stepping in to take his life, but to reveal himself once again to this king and to give him another chance to repent. God reminds him that there's only one God and it's not called Lord of the Flies. Now it would have been wonderful if Ahaziah, knowing that he was not going to recover, had turned to God and said, I'm blown it, Lord. I'm dying here, and, and, and soon it's going to be too late. Please, will you forgive me? Will you help me? Will you give me another chance? Will you? And I, I really genuinely believe that if he had done that, God would have intervened in some way. Whether he'd have healed him physically or not, I don't know, but God would certainly have healed him spiritually, and it ended up in a very different place. But he didn't change. As we reminded, he served and worshipped Baal and aroused the anger of the Lord God of Israel just as his father had done. Baal 
was his chosen deity. Anyway, the messengers returned and gave him this message and I can imagine him saying to them, why are you back here so soon? I sent you to Ekron. Well, what are you doing back here already? And they say, well, we met a man on the road who said to us, go back to the king and tell him this is what the Lord says. This is because there's no God in Israel that you're sending men to consult Baalzebub. The king says to them, what kind of man was this who, who said this to you? Now read between the lines. I can kind of hear the king saying something like this. Who was this man who you would rather listen to than to me? I am the king. I told you where to go. This man tells you to come back and you ignore my orders and you listen to him. Who was this? You better have a good reason or by tomorrow morning I'm going to have new messengers. And they say, he was a man with a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. And King Ahaz says, oh no, 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 no. I know who this is. I know exactly who it is. This is Elijah. Oh, he knew who Elijah was. He knew what Elijah had done at Mount Carmel. He knew how Elijah had called down fire from heaven on the prophets of Baal. He knew about the miracles that he performed. He knew about the prophecies that had been fulfilled in his own family's life. He knew. Now, I like to think that if it was me, I'd say, oh, Lord, okay, I've blown it. Let me see if I can put this right. But no, he doesn't take that attitude. He's hardened his heart. And he sends... company of soldiers to bring Elijah to him. Now let's get one thing clear. This was not an invitation to a tea party. I mean, an invitation to a tea party can end up with all, all sorts of drama and problems very, very easily. Um, I mean, just, just be careful who you speak to about whether you put your jam or your cream first. Um, Mix them together. It's probably safer. <laughs> Baptist compromise. Um, no, this was an invitation, not an invitation to a tea party. You don't send a company of soldiers to invite somebody for a friendly chat. I mean, the king had sent messengers to Ekron, but he sends a company of 50 soldiers to a lone prophet. The king wanted to kill the prophet. Simple as that. He wanted to discredit him. He wanted to bring him back and show that he was more powerful than this prophet. He wanted to humble him. And he wanted to get rid of him the same as his mother had tried to do. So the captain comes to Elijah and he says, Man of God, the king says, come down. Let's pull that apart slightly, shall we? It's a bizarre statement. Man of God. The king says this is what you've got to do. <laughs> uh, basically saying the king trumps God. 
man of God, the king's has come down. And Elijah says, well, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire fell and consumed them. Elijah read this as a threat. And God answered Elijah's call, which means that his call couldn't have been wrong. God saw the need of the moment and he dealt with it. When was the last time Elijah had called down fire from heaven? Well, back at Mount Carmel. So this is a pretty good reminder to King Ahaziah. You're dealing with the God who can call down fire from heaven and destroy. Somebody limped back. Now this is not in the Bible, but must be true because how else would the king have known? Somebody limped back and told the king what had happened. Okay? Couldn't have been one of the dead men because most of them don't limp. Um, so the message comes back. And at this the king hears that Elijah has once again called down fire from heaven and overcome the soldiers. So what does the king do? He sends another bunch of 50. Someone once said, you know, you can't make the same mistake twice because the second time you do it, it's not a mistake, it's a choice. That's true, you know. He blew it by sending 50 men. He blew it by tackling it in the wrong way. God demonstrates this to him, so he goes and he does the exact same thing again. And the second captain comes, and this time the captain is even more arrogant. Listen to his tone of pride and arrogance. He says, the king says, come down quickly. Slap, snap. Come on, come, 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 come. Come on, you little punk. I'm not fooling around. You better get down here. Come down now. This guy's making these demands to the prophet while he's surrounded by dead bodies. And I thought I was thick. Elijah's not intimidated. He says, oh, if I'm a man of God, let God deal with it. And God does. And the message goes back to the king. And the third time the king says, I know what I'll do. I'll get a captain and 50 men. And I'll send them out to bring him in. How stupid can you get? But the third captain's got a different attitude. He comes not arrogantly, but he comes with an appeal. He recognizes the power of God. He recognizes the danger of messing with God's prophet. He's got a healthy fear and respect for God. And he, we told, comes to Elijah and he fell on his knees before him and he said, please, man of God, please let, let my life and the lives of my men be precious in your sight. Please have mercy on us. He comes with a request, not a command. He comes with a request, not a demand. Finally, someone had got the message. It wasn't the king, but the third captain got the message. He's not arrogant. He's not proud. He says, look, the king has said, I've got to come here and I've got to do this, but please, please, please have mercy on us. We are just doing what we've been told to do, but we recognize that you are the man of God. And the angel says to Elijah, 
go down with him and do not be afraid of him. Now, why would God send a message to Elijah saying, don't be afraid? Probably because Elijah was afraid. Wouldn't you be afraid in that situation? I mean, okay, remember the last time he'd been at the palace and Jezebel had given him 24 hours to live, he'd run away. Terrified. Yes, he'd learned his lesson, but there's still room for some fear within him. He's being taken by these soldiers back to the king who wants to kill him. The angel says, don't be afraid. We've been reminded of this so many times over the last few weeks. Elijah is a man subject to like passions as we are. And fear is one of those, and it's natural. But when God says to him, it's okay, do it, don't be afraid, what does he do? He listens, not to the fear in his heart, but to the word of God. And he does what God tells him to do. In spite of any fear, he was obedient. I think it's probably fair to say he didn't fancy going. I mean, it's much easier to serve God on the mountaintop all by yourself. It's much easier to be concerned about the lost when we're in the prayer meeting than we're mixing with them at work and socially. It's always easier to love people when they're not around. Especially some. But Elijah went. And when he gets to the king, he just simply repeats the same message. He told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you consult, for you to consult, that you send messengers to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you're lying in. You will certainly die. And the next words? And he died, according to the word that the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Even at this point, he doesn't ask for mercy, he doesn't ask for healing, he doesn't ask for forgiveness. He just dies. But you know, even though this is a bit of a bloodthirsty passage, there's a lot of comfort in it. Bear with me for another few minutes. There's comfort here knowing that the word of God is true and trustworthy. When God says something, God will do it. There's comfort here in knowing that God has given us a message that is meant to turn us from evil and its consequences and back to him. Whoever we are, because the Bible says, we'll look at this in a few minutes' time, whoever who say I will, may come. There's comfort here in knowing that even people as arrogant and wicked as Ahaziah were spoken to by God and that he had the opportunity to humble himself and turn to God. Nobody is beyond the forgiveness capacity of God. We have a message of forgiveness. Yes, this world is condemned. Yes, we are worthy to be condemned. But God's arms are wide open. He loves us and he wants to forgive us. And that's why in Hebrews we read, the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, 
when your ancestors were tested and tried me, for four, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. They've not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. God says, do not hear, harden your hearts today. Today, at Crete St. Michael Baptist Church, today, as you're sitting in your lounge at home, watching this on your computer or your TV set, do not harden your heart. God says, I'm giving you another chance. I'm giving you another opportunity to come and know my forgiveness and my love. As we close, who are you most like in the story? Please, don't be like Ahaziah, who chose to harden his heart and refused to turn to God and seek forgiveness. Please don't be like the first two captains, who just didn't take God seriously. They're just too busy going through the routine of life, doing their job and ignoring what God was saying. If you can identify with anybody, what about the third captain? He came kneeling and asking for mercy. He came praying not just for himself but for his men. He came with a healthy respect for God and for who God is and for what God can do and that Fear and respect for God kept him and his men alive. If you have to choose between those three groups, choose the third captain. Or, what about be like Elijah? Who in spite of his personal problems and his past mistakes, went in response to the command of God and saw God move in mighty ways. Remember, he was a man like us. May God help us to be men and women like Elijah. Men and women at the Lord's disposal. Men and women willing to listen to what God says. Men and women willing to do what God says. I believe that God... speaking to somebody either here in the building or online maybe more than one person and you know that you need the forgiveness of God you know that you've been following things that are, are not going to get you anywhere God says You've got another chance today. Feel free to speak to Matt, email him, contact him. If you're in a life group, speak to your life group leader, email me, contact me. But don't ignore what God is saying. Do not, do not waste the grace of God.